dear Dharma friends, uh, this evening I would like to talk about about uh, the the first and the last inner freedom, and that's uh, right understanding or skillful understanding, because that's the first one you need, and that's the last thing you need. So that's why I chose that topic, and it frees us. If we gain freedom from our own understanding. Quite the opposite. Usually people say, oh, give me freedom. Freedom to buy things, freedom this. We expect people to give us freedom. But here, from a Dharma point of view, your understanding is what, is what gives you freedom, actually. You free yourself, basically, from your understanding. There are many kinds of uh, uh, right understanding, and I will maintain this word skillful because it, it, it resonates with me, skillful. Because when I was teaching in Uganda, I, I was telling them about right understanding, right thought. One medical student asked me, right from whose point of view? I said, hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> then I pulled out from body psychology, skillful. Skillful, nobody's going to complain because, <laughs> <laughs> because when you define skillful, then it's universal. So we, we have universal rightness or wrongness uh, when it's unskillful. Okay, I just want to tell you what is skillful. Skillful, psychologically healthy, something which is psychologically healthy, wholesome. Um, ethically, it should be... Uh, um, praiseworthy, but to simplify all these things, so let us say if something is skillful, it's if it brings your happiness, the happiness of others, and the happiness of both. And if something which is unskillful, it, bring, if it, it brings suffering to yourself, suffering of others, and suffering of both. So it doesn't matter where you go, whether you go to Uganda, United States, Something which is unskillful is going to be unskillful, like touching fire. You touch it, you get burnt. Then people, the speed rock, they have to run you to the hospital. You are inconveniencing them. Then the doctors. <laughs> so it's, you see it's universal. The same in Uganda. If you do, they have to take you to the hospital. So you are suffering. Others are suffering who are taking you to the hospital. And uh, or both, you know. So uh, then... Something like skillful, eating nice food, <laughs> wonderful food. <laughs> it's good for you, it's good for people who offer you the food, and for both, you know. So that's why most of the time I will use the word skillful, because it's universal. Even unskillful is universal. I got into a lot of troubles when I, from Uganda when I went to India. Uh, in Uganda, we shake hands and hug, and when I reached in India, it was different. <laughs> so you cannot think that whatever you do here, it's applicable everywhere. So there you have to say, Namaste, <laughs> you don't shake hands. So there's a difference there. So the same thing with our things that we do. Uh, if we do things which are skillful, we know that is universal, and we know things which are not universal also. All right, so there's skillful understanding, and that's uh, understanding the way I've told you, if something is bringing happiness to yourself, others, and both. And its roots, what's the, what are the roots? That's uh, generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. Those are the roots. If you want to know whether something you are doing is skillful, it should have these mental states behind it. It's very clear, generous, loving kindness, and wisdom and understanding. If something is unskillful, that means leading your suffering, the suffering of others, and both, then the root, the nourishing root there, it should be greed, hatred, and delusion. Then you know that you're really doing something unskillful. So that's one of uh, right understanding. But I'm not going to dwell on that. There is yet another Jewish right understanding that I'm going to tell you. 
There's another right understanding of um, impermanence, uh, suffering, and selflessness, nature of all conditioned things. This means that everything is changing. Everything is in constant flux. Most people don't agree. <laughs> Yet they breathe, you know, when you breathe. <laughs> in breath, what happened to, to it? You have to breathe out. And people say, no, no, I can't understand this Buddha's teachings. Difficult, impermanence. I can't see impermanence. Are you sure? <laughs> you watch your breath, does it stay the same? Ah, that's self-denial if you really <laughs> think that things don't change. <laughs> you better change your understanding. So things do change. Things, of course, are suffering. We can see it very evidently. And anything that's permanence, we uh, hold on to the impermanence. We are tenaciously, we hold on to these things that are changing. We're going to suffer. And also things have no core. It's beyond our control. Do you know one thing which is uh, beyond our control? Financial crisis. <laughs> if you take it personally and hold on to it, it will surprise you. So uh, what I'm going to dwell on is actually right understanding of the Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble Truths, that's what the Buddha spent all his 45 years teaching. Four things. <laughs> 45 years teaching the same thing. That shows something. That most people ignore them. The most thing that they ignore. <laughs> so that's what the Buddha says. I'm just going to repeat it for 45 years. <laughs> Again and again, <laughs> in a different way, different fashion and different forms, you know. So the first truth is suffering, and the second is the cause of suffering, and the third is the truth of the cessation of suffering, thus ultimate happiness, what we call in Pali, Nibbana, or final liberation, you can say. And then the path that leads to the end of suffering, thus happiness. The he laid out the path that you have to follow. This is like somebody showing you how to go to Auckland or San Francisco and give you also the GPS. Here's a map. Go. <laughs> so he really outlined things, but the problem is still people think, oh, no, no, it's very difficult to figure out. And also sometimes they say, Oh, you know, the Buddha talk about only suffering. I think that's because of little attention span. <laughs> they just only read only one truth, suffering. They don't go to the rest. So they leave out three truths, you know. Here we are going to try to see how we can really combine all of them and the right understanding. Why right understanding is important? What do you think is important? Even in our daily life, and uh, all these things. For me, it's very clear. I've seen a lot of people with wrong understanding, wrong views. And uh, throughout the history of humankind, human beings, there are many wars that have been fought because of this wrong understanding, wrong views, conflicting views. I give you just a basic misunderstanding. Just, this is very basic. We haven't even gone to the Four Noble Truth. Let me tell you about my experience. Sometime uh, in 1995, uh, I went to Tibet. That was my, uh, out of my love for the Dharma. So I said, I would like to go to, to Tibet to see the High Lamas and how they live and learn more about Buddhism. So I went and in Nepal and I got into Tibet and uh, I was there. Sometime I used to pass... Uh, uh, checkpoints. Then I give my I give my passport. It is written Republic of Uganda. Then people they looked at me. They've they have never seen even an African or black person. They looked at me. They said, "Please give us the, your passport." I said, "This is it. <laughs> I have no other document apart from this." So anyway, they say, is your country republic? Because my, can, my passport is written Republic of Uganda. Then they ask, is your country republic? I said, no. Then they say, is your country of? I said, no. <laughs> is your country Uganda? I said, yes. So they started writing Republic of Uganda. 
so they didn't understand what even the name of the country. That's based ignorance, you know. Uganda has been there for many years. <laughs> <laughs> now this comes to the person himself. So uh, I went uh, uh, traveling around after one month, and I have plenty of time. So I went to villages, some villages, very deep villages there to visit monasteries. And then the bus I took, unfortunately, was not going back to Lhasa. Lhasa is the, the capital. It was just going to stay there for the whole night, and there's no way going back to Lhasa. So, okay, I intended to stay there for a night. I looked for the hotels. Then I went there. I was so surprised the reception ran away. They ran away, and they, there was no way how I, I, I can get a, uh, accommodation. Then I went to uh, open a book, and I went to another one, the second one, the third, and the fourth. I reached the eighth host hotel. All people are running away. But then I reached another uh, hotel where the receptionist was a man, a male. I said, ah, this is a man. Maybe it looks very strong. When I went, he ran away screaming. <laughs> and then reached a wall, and he could not go through the wall. <laughs> screaming. <laughs> He has never seen a black person. And then uh, I said, wow, well, I cannot stay on the trees. It's very cold. What am I going to do? These people don't understand me. <laughs> I'm a human being. They should understand they are human. I look like a human being. Actually, later on, I found out they have a black demon. Uh, I mean, a black protector, deity. It's painted on their mural paintings. And, uh, that Tibetan Buddhism has these deities and all that. So there's one who protects them, and it's a black one. Anyway, I got the message. So the, uh, then I, I tried to look for the most expensive hotel. Most expensive because I knew these people are educated. They have enough knowledge. They have right understanding about, about this African. <laughs> so then I went there. Oh, the, 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 he, she was a female recep receptionist. Looked at me, but okay. She looked very scared. I said, this is my final resort. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do if they refuse me. So I said, mental having kindness. And, and then she told me, okay, there's only one room, but it's very expensive. I said, okay, <laughs> let me count the money I had. I have, so I counted, I counted. And then she said, oh, we can't give you this room. We have to ask the management. So she arranged the hotel manage, management to meet for 30 minutes to decide whether to, to give me a room or not. So that's a misunderstanding completely. They don't understand that there's a, on, the other world, on the other side of the world, there are people who are black, basically, <laughs> because, you know, it was closed for a while. And I, didn't really take, I didn't take it personally, so I knew that they, they have never seen an African. So anyway, they ended up giving me the room. I, I was so relieved <laughs> after that meeting for 30 minutes. So that's part of uh, how people ignore, actually, uh, some basic truth. So the Buddha formulated his teaching based on the treatment of disease, actually. Ayurvedic medicine in India, even, actually even in modern science now, the doctors, Western doctors, the way they treat a disease is the way how they teach. The Buddha formulated this teaching. When you go to the doctor, what do they say? when you have some disease, what do they say? What's wrong with you? Hey, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I have a headache, I have a headache. So you are the one who identify the problem. <laughs> and they say, they write it down. <laughs> and then they say, okay, I'm going to find the cause. Maybe it's virus, they take temperature, they measure, they weigh you, and they really take a lot of measurements and uh, they try to find out the cause. And then they find out the cause, whether it's a virus, a bacteria. Then they say, oh, you know, you'll be fine. They tap you on the shoulder if they're very kind enough. Oh, you'll be fine. <laughs> so they assure you happiness, basically, and health. <laughs> so then, uh, after that, they don't stop there. They say, okay, you know, you have to take uh, three tablets per day and then for, for one week. So you get a course of treatment. So the same way how the Buddha formulated his teaching along those lines, that's why it's very applicable in, and it's a very 
and it's available actually. It's very easy to understand. Yeah, so it doesn't need a kind of a brain surgery to understanding that there's suffering, <laughs> there's a cause, there is a, a, a solution, yeah? there is also the way to the solution. But most, time, most of the time, people just ignore. That's why the Buddha said ignorance. Not that you don't have PhDs and all that. You just simply ignore. Forget about it. We talk about other more interesting subjects, not suffering <laughs> and not the cause. So they really kind of push it under the, the rug. Okay, so the first noble truth is called the truth of suffering. That's what most people don't want to hear, but that's Buddha said it anyway. You take it or not. If you don't believe it to me, I mean, you don't believe it, you can uh, just stay rest assured that it, it is there, uh, whether you want to face it or not. So uh, the way we practice this teaching hinges on the way how you're going to understand this first noble truth. So if you, you are a kind of a person who is relaxed and lax, uh, you don't take things seriously, it means that you are not lacking some understanding of this very first noble truth. It's very important to understand what the, the first noble truth. Just a simple excursion about this truth, the Buddha began with saying, birth is suffering. Yeah? How is birth is suffering? That's all how... The all suffering starts from there. That's how it starts. Okay, of course, when somebody's born, you become happy, it's okay, but you know that uh, it comes with a kind of a, in a package, basically. You shouldn't have to worry about it. There's a lot of happiness in birth because it's in a human birth that you can become a Buddha. You can become enlightened. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm just telling you that when you're born, you, you can't, it, it, happiness comes with a, in a package with a little bit of discomfort. It's like buy one, you get one free. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good deal. So you don't have to take it personal. It's just how the package comes, you know. <laughs> you just have to take it at a face value, you know. So... Uh, of course, aging is suffering, and uh, we know that. By the way, there's a little bit of a note before we go to aging, because most people anyway don't want to hear about the word aging. They say growing. <laughs> it's growing. Actually, according to the Buddha, from the time you're born, you're actually aging. So the time starts counting, feeling ages. You know, It's not only the body, the feeling ages. Where is your last feeling two years ago? You have changed. So, so aging, is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, we should accept it also. We should understand it. We should have a right understanding of what aging is. Is that the thing, things changing, actually. Things change. If there is any change, it's aging. You can put it in a politically, uh, political correctness and say, okay, elderly or uh, growth and all that. But it's actually aging, that's the truth. You know, so, so there's certain things that we really ignore, like, what's the cause of death, by the way? It's baff baffling doctors. They're trying to find out the cause of, of death and uh, what's the cause of death, what, what's the disease, and Michael Jackson died, what's the cause of disease? The Buddha knew already, don't have to spend money to find out the cause of death. It's birth. It's very simple. You see how people ignore? If you're not born, you're not going to die. <laughs> so this is part of ignorance. My friends, whenever I'm talking about these things, know that it's ignorance. It's not that you, it's really very deep stuff. <laughs> it's just we ignore, you know. Sickness, dis-ease, discomfort, that's part of uh, also suffering. Uh, cold, hot, hunger, and thirsty. All those is part of discomfort. We can experience it. There's pain, physical pain, as you sit here, grief, sorrow, lamentation, dis lamentation and despair. All that is a form of suffering. 
association with hateful, like uh, you want to be, uh, let's say when you go work, uh, to work, sometimes you associate with your coworkers. Uh, they may be rough, they don't know about mindfulness. So you've been practicing mindfulness. So uh, that association can lead uh, to a lot of conflict and uh, some discomfort. Separation from the beloved ones. We know how separation comes, you know. Even if we don't want it, it comes. Getting what you, you don't want. We want economic prosperity. We get financial crisis. <laughs> uh, you see, it's also, all this is a, a part of suffering. And that's right understanding. We should understand it. Don't fight them. Never go into a battle with this kind of truth. It's part of right understanding. You should right, uh, understand them rightly. That's what it means, basically. Well, the Buddha got exhausted and said, wow, there's a lot of suffering in the world, so I cannot give mention anymore. <laughs> he just said, in brief, our experiences are really suffering. They are. Not that they're painful, actually. It's just that they're just changing all the time. You cannot hold on to them. I mean, you go and have a nice pizza and a wonderful food. and Can you eat that for a whole year and really sustain your happiness? No. <laughs> so it's just unsatisfactory. The word dukkha actually is not suffering. It's just the English word doesn't do justice to the word dukkha. Dukkha, it's probably the closest would be unsatisfactoriness, maybe, or it could be maybe disharmony. I think that's the best way to translate this word, disharmony. That means things are just out of harmony. Because whenever we use the word suffering, what we already think, oh, pain, 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 in the knee or somewhere in the head, uh, strong emotions. No, no, no. This is very subtle uh, meaning of suffering, actually. The experiences, like uh, feelings, our body processes, the changing all the time, the perceptions, the, our emotions, positive and negative emotions, even metal loving kindness and fear, those are negative emotions. Then our uh, really awareness and consciousness is changing all the time. You know? So all our experiences, Buddha said, that, uh, because they're changing all the time and we hold on to them, so it's really suffering. So another thing that uh, is worth your attention is the second noble truth, which is the cause of suffering. Yes, suffering has a cause. Most people, they ignore that. Oh, there is no cause. It's just given to us <laughs> to just uh, get on with it and uh, try to maybe to make us worthy of their love and all that. So there's a lot of actually resistance to this truth. People think that uh, suffering is caused by something, something, <laughs> depending on your beliefs. But here, I invite you to really investigate what's the cause of suffering. Here, it is identified as craving for sensual pleasures. I want to be popular, I think, when I'm trying to talk about this. <laughs> because that's what most people even misunderstand. Okay, now it's, uh, Buddha talk about craving for sensual pleasures. How are we going to live our life? We are family people, you know, we have to study, we have to work. It's, I want to draw your attention, this cause of suffering, which is craving for sensual pleasures, it's selfish desire to gratify your senses. Indulgence, overindulgence rather. Because there are some desires which are actually can be okay, like desire to stand, uh, desire to practice the Dharma, eh, to reach the liberation. There's no problem with that. Desire to come to meditate, there's no problem. Desire to be generous, this is no problem. It's this desire that actually is reducing your happiness and increasing your suffering in the wrong run. Of course, in the short run, you may not see that, right? But as you go down after 10 years, 20 years, it's just going in this direction, decreasing suffering 
I mean, uh, decreasing happiness, increasing suffering. It will be evident when you break up maybe in a relationship. That shows that actually all along <laughs> you've been decreasing <laughs> your happiness and increasing your suffering. In the short run, you won't believe it in honeymoon and, oh, darling, sweet love, I, I love you, honey, love, <laughs> this is my middle name. <laughs> all these things go there, but I'm telling you, uh, <laughs> to reach some stage <laughs> where you, you find out actually, mm, yes, it's some, there's a little bit of package there. Buy one, get one free, remember? <laughs> you love somebody, they expect a little bit of yin and yang, you know, a balance. <laughs> and it's okay. That's how life is. You cannot reverse these things, but you can do something about it and understand. I tell you my, my naive uh, way of uh, seeing things when I was in India in 1990, I have never, never seen snow. I just want to re illustrate that actually we can ignore this, this truth uh, that actually craving leads to suffering. This is how I ignored it. All right, so I'm in India. Then I, I had that there's snowfall. I've never seen snow in my life, apart from the refrigerator. <laughs> but this was snowfall. I said, wow, snow can fall? <laughs> I'm more ignorant about snow. Even recently, I, I ask what is snow, and somebody says it's very naturally falling down. <laughs> anyway, I'm a tropical monk, so I don't know <laughs> about snow. Anyway, I went to India, and then uh, I, I had to. Uh, when I read the newspaper, and they told me, "Oh, there's snowfall in Shimla." That's almost six hours from where I was in Chandigarh. Long ride. This bus ride was very long, but I needed to see snowfall. Because I was, so, I saw the pictures. I said, "Wow, this is really great." So then I was, uh, I reached the place, and then uh, I, I saw the fluffs and all the snowflakes, and I said, "Wow, this is beautiful." I took pictures. I didn't have gloves, and then I, I had the jacket. I just put some here and <laughs> <laughs> some. In the, I mean, they were warm. <laughs> Same with even our love is so warm, you know. We don't see what's gonna come, you know. Even craving for all this pleasure is so warm. We don't see that. So I put here and in, in my shoes and all that. Wow, I was so fascinated. And I looked at myself. I was white and this black man with all the white things around. <laughs> <laughs> and I was the only black person there anyway in northern India because <laughs> it's full of Westerners. And then I think these Westerners must have seen this crazy person. They say, what's this man doing? <laughs> and uh, later on, a few minutes, it starts melting. It starts discomfort. I just feel, wow, it's, it's freezing. <laughs> say, well, taking photos became no fun. <laughs> Dropped the camera. <laughs> and then... I went to the room and it was feeling so cold. And there was no electricity to, 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 to heat up my room. Yeah, then I had to change my room and go to another place where I can get a heater. It was, it was I nearly screamed, really. <laughs> I was suffering. I mean, everything, especially the toys, were so were freezing. <laughs> where did it, all that freezing come from? T shooting pictures. <laughs> putting here, looking at the beautiful body with all the white flakes and all that. Friends, uh, whenever you are having some craving for sensual pleasures, you know that, be prepared actually. What I'm saying, be prepared. Actually, once we are prepared, it is no problem. We have enough mindfulness. The good thing actually, we have all the teaching to really help us to go through that. Even when we find ourselves in the middle of craving, we can actually do something about it. We are not helpless beings, actually. Go for it. <laughs> a thousand joys. <laughs> and then a thousand sorrows. <laughs> sorrows. That's the Tao. You know, the Tao. A thousand joys. Ten thousand joys. Ten thousand uh, sorrows. Buddha simplified it to eight. <laughs> I mean, four. <laughs> For joys and for sorrows. <laughs> but anyway, 
go for it and then be mindful and then after all I think you are going to reverse the curve then you try to be uh, skillful you know like that means you are going to increase more happiness and reduce uh, suffering that's the way to go do things this teaching is there to help you to actually uh, decrease suffering and increase happiness we actually telling you to maximize optimize all the resources to be more happy and less suffering by the practice you, you are doing right now. You know uh, for yourself how you experience there's a grief or whatever you experience or fear. All those actually from a psychological point of view they spring from craving. Whether it's sorrow, fear, aversion, all these things they have their root there. But actually, the cause of suffering is greed, hatred, and delusion. But craving is the one which actually operates more there. We can relate to it very easily. Because we eat, we have to get, go dance, and we have to go to party, you become a party animal. <laughs> so you, you're here, you take photos and all that. So it's actually more very evident. So it's just the principal cause of suffering, but you know that it's not the only uh, cause of suffering. There's also others. Of course, from ethical point of view, uh, craving itself actually leads to more uh, defilement. People say they don't want to hear the word defilement. What do you mean, I'm, I'm defiled? <laughs> Some people told me, I've learned a lot of things in, in, in America, actually. <laughs> So uh, there are certain people told me defilement is not a nice word. But I don't have another substitute. <laughs> I don't know, but you know that actually uh, craving uh, provides fertile soil for other kind of uh, uh, unskillful, unskillful states of mind to arise, like fear, uh, anxiety, and all that. They all spring from craving. So it's like a fuel for other kind of forms of cause of suffering. The social, the, the social implication of craving, of course, we know conflict. All the conflict. <laughs> it's just amazing how the Buddha put things in perspective. Wars and conflicts in families and all these, all these conflicts we have ever heard of. The Buddha traced them, traced them to craving. It's just amazing. You just talk about any conflict you have ever had. It's all being rooted from craving, of course, and ignorance. Now, we go to the, uh, the, the third noble truth, which is called the noble truth of cessation of suffering. Nah, that's where things become very interesting because now we are removed from all these things we don't want to hear. Eh? Uh, we don't want to hear suffering, do you? What about the cause? We don't want to hear about that the cause of suffering is craving. No. But here, we want to hear about happiness. Don't you? <laughs> I know you want it. <laughs> because that's what the doctor tells. Okay, you'll be happy. You'll be healthy. Don't worry. So actually, that, the, when the doctor tells you that, you kind of forget about your, your sickness, you know. Because there's that assurance doesn't say, oh, you know, you are not, you are not going to get cured. They don't say that. Even the Buddha said that if you follow the path, if you're understanding the path, you're going to get freedom and get enlightenment. Of course, uh, from a psychological point of view, the cessation of craving, uh, it's uh, the cessation of grief and all other f uh, mental um, defilement like fear and all that. So, it's just removing, actually. The beauty of this teaching is not like you have to keep on piling things. It's just removing the cause. You see what I mean? You, have just, you just have to remove the cause of suffering and get hap happiness. I don't know how long it's going to take to remove, <laughs> but that's it. That's the way <laughs> to understand that you just have to remove things. It's like when the house is full of furniture and dirt and whatever things you have, 
what do you do if you want to have space? Do you pile in more things and all that? No, you have just to remove all the furniture out and start sweeping. So what we are doing actually here, we are sweeping. We are not causing uh, new things basically to happen, but we're just inviting you, remove a little bit. Even when actually you start removing a little bit, an iota of uh, craving, maybe not all, <laughs> because the big project, <laughs> that's what we are all doing actually, monks, nuns, and all practitioners, we are trying to remove slowly by slowly. So take it easy. <laughs> it's a whole project, life project. Remove a little bit, and then you see how happy you are. You keep on removing a bit. To the degree and extent that you can move something, little by little, to the degree and extent that you'll be happy. And you can verify it yourself. Not through reading books. Not re through re uh, listening to the teacher that, okay, you know, you want to be happy, remove a little bit of craving. <laughs> No, you can see your, through your experience yourself. From ethical point of view, of course, the removal of greed, hatred, and delusion, uh, uh, of course, that brings happiness. So that's all what you have to do. And we can actually totally, totally abandon all forms of suffering and attain ultimate happiness and freedom. That's what I talked about last freedom. We have to realize it. We have to realize it. And that's a challenge. That's a task that we have to do for this truth. We have to realize healthy and happiness. The fourth noble truth, which is the path that leads to the uh, cessation of suffering. So that's where there's hope, actually, because all these things sound theoretical. What's this? But here there's a path, practical. That's what the doctors say. Or that's what the doctors do. They give you Fancida or ibuprofen, take it three times a, a day and uh, for five days you'll be fine, come again and all this. So this Buddha, exactly what he's doing <laughs> in the fourth noble truth, spelling it out. And you're going to hear the, all the teaching we're going to give actually during this retreat is going to be spilling out that course. You'll take piecemeal by piecemeal. This is actually the path that uh, leads to the cessation, the cessation of suffering, and it's commonly called the middle path. That means it stays clear away from self-mortification and also from self-indulgence, which is probably familiar with. <laughs> you may not be familiar with self-mortification. That's the practice in India where people used to stand on one leg for the whole month and month thinking that they will get enlightened. <laughs> and then not eating food and all that. It's called self-mortification. So this path actually is not a compromise. It's actually stay clear away from those two extremes. The noble eightfold path, I'm going to spell it out. Today I've been talking about right understanding. That's the first one. Second is right thought, right speech, right action, right, uh, uh, right livelihood, right energy or effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Again, you can say skillful and substitute the word skillful with right, whatever you want to do. This is the noble aid for path. Actually, it's in a will form. I don't know if you can see this. This will, that's what the Buddha taught, this the will. If you can't see it, I'll post it there. It's in a wheel. They're like spokes. It's not like highway with eight lanes. <laughs> you keep on going the first one. and No, no, no. It's actually a wheel. Uh, it's spokes. You know, it's a motion. And he set it running. He set it, mo he set it moving. And he said that nobody's going to stop it. Because these are just mind states, actually. It's not outside. These noble eightfold path, they are not, it's not outside you. <laughs> It's not in the books. It's not on the paper. It's in you, yourself, if you can allow yourself to practice. Actually, this is a symbol of Buddhism. This is a symbol, like a cross. is a symbol for Christianity. This is the symbol. It symbolizes this uh, Dharma, the way, things, uh, the way things, how they are, the way, uh, the way how the Buddha saw that this is the way how things are. There's this path that leads to 
the end of suffering. So, actually, before the statue, they used to put a wheel there on the altar there. There was no statue at all in the beginning. It was later on, sometime, I think, in the second century, uh, second century they start putting, uh, they, they started putting on other things, basically. So they used to really put the wheel there, and then you can see for yourself, oh, I'm going to practice this one. Do you know what the wheel does when there's one spoke missing? Disharmony. If you remove five, <laughs> disharmony. So you need all the four spokes there. So I'm sorry to disappoint you if you are really going to pick and choose, <laughs> like going in a supermarket. <laughs> I just want right understanding. I don't want right thought or right understanding. You know that you are dealing with the wheel. <laughs> we need all of it. <laughs> so I'm talking about only one spoke. Okay, right thoughts is going to be the next one. Don't worry, somebody will talk about right speech, but let me talk a little bit about right thought or skillful thought. Skillful thought is a thought of non-greed in a positive way. A positive way we can say thought of generosity, uh, thought of non-hatred, which is loving kindness, thought of uh, non-cruelty, that's uh, compassion. So, on one side we have uh, skillful states of mind like generosity, loving kindness that you are going to even to study this week, uh, this uh, in this retreat. Then you have also compassion. Now, what does generosity mean actually? Because most people think that uh, this teaching is uh, uh, is very basic. But here it's very profound, the teaching on generosity. Because it has a tendency to reverse the cause of suffering, which is craving. So it opposes. So the more you're generous, the more you're dealing with the, that root that really nourishes suffering. So it's very important to be generous, actually. It's the central teaching in every probably tradition and religion. But here it's very profound, profound in that it's a basis and a support for the other teachings. So you can be generous without knowing that actually it's a support and a basis for the, eth for the practice of ethical conduct. This what makes generosity, according to Dharma, very unique. It's not about giving. Oh, I don't like this shirt. Oh, give it up. I don't like it. No. Okay, I'm going to give away that chair, and then you take it in a, on the road there, and then in the middle where you say, ah, I, I like it actually in the winter, and then you bring it, <laughs> you bring it back. That's called discarding or abandoning. <laughs> Quite different kind of animal. <laughs> abandoning. This is a practice we do to practice uh, in order to get rid of our holding, to loosen. Because desire say, this is what desire say, get, 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 zap, zap, zap. You get here. You put, it's like a magnet, eh? <laughs> With all this uh, uh, magnetic field, we keep on getting, getting. Generous to say, okay, get rid of. Get rid of. As a practice, not just something that uh, you should do by force. But some people say, okay, now there's the economic recession and uh, financial crisis. What are we going to give? We have nothing to give. Also, we have to keep for ourselves. Friends, there's a lot of things to give. There's, of course, gifts we can give, uh, material, that's uh, very common. But there's also non-material things to give, like time. Time, we have plenty of time. We have energy, we can share it. We can spend time with the people who need our time, advising, and a smile. Yeah? Actually, I had in England is a, one is a therapy. Uh, to smile it makes you happy and makes others happy, of course. So, why not try it? So, uh, actually, generosity is a very profound practice because it's a support. You have to mark this word. It's a support and the basis for the practice of ethical conduct. 
and it goes all the way even when we are meditating. We have to be generous enough to let it go of our greed, hatred, and delusion. That's the best generosity you can do to yourself. That's a subtle way of letting go some of the th our, our things that cause suffering. So you can practice generosity. It has a function of, distract, uh, of destruction of uh, attachment to the objects or, in, or even mental states. The Buddha said that uh, there is great, great generosity that you can do. And that's the practice of the five training rules, the five training guidelines that he took at the beginning of this retreat. You can take more if you want. <laughs> the more you take, the better. <laughs> Eight, 100, <laughs> 227 like monks, <laughs> 331 like nuns, on and on. You can take as much as you like. Actually, it doesn't mean that you are restricting yourself. It's not a restriction. It's a freedom. In a way, there's a way how they protect us. It's a trade-off between security and uh, freedom. <laughs> you want more freedom? <laughs> so get into trouble. <laughs> you want more security, inner security? You'll be fine. Practicing protect, uh, like the first pre precept of protecting and preserving life, generosity, moderation, and contentment, being faithful in your relationships, and uh, being trustworthy and uh, honest, and being mindful and alertness, th those are the positive aspects of what you are holding in this retreat, this container. They are called five guiding uh, or training rules. It's not commandments. They say that if you observe this, this is the greatest generosity you can ever do. You protect the whole world. You give fearlessness and freedom to all beings in the whole world. And you share in that freedom. That's the beauty, that you also shareholder in that freedom. <laughs> you are not left out of the picture, you know? Imagine protecting the whole world. I can't protect the whole world, even when I build monasteries around Africa and all that. It's a big job. But if you protect uh, these precepts and this container, container, other beings need not fear that you are, going to be, uh, you are going to be dangerous. You are going to kill them. You are going to rob them and all that. So that means wherever you go, people feel at peace, you know. How do you feel when you are together, all of us, keeping the, the same ethical conduct? Ah, you can leave your clock here. That, even if it costs millions and millions of dollars, you can leave it here. And you'll find it the next day. Because there's that trust. So that's the best generosity you can do, even if... You are, we are in a financial crisis. There's not em enough to give. You can do it, uh, give something like that. Meta loving kindness is uh, another thought. That means thought of non hatred. That's loving kindness. So, loving kindness is uh, that uh, mind state that, that seeks for the welfare and happiness of all beings. It's boundless, without exception. And you hear more about it, actually. I don't need to talk more about it because that's what we are going to teach. So you know that the next thought is meta-loving kindness. Another one is uh, thought of non-cruelty. That's compassion. Compassion is that mind state which trembles whenever there's suffering of others, but also it includes ourselves. This is not fear, but this is connection, connecting <coughs> to other people's suffering. So that's compassion. Again, this is another teaching that requires a full hour Dhamma talk, but just know that it's in that line. So long as you have right understanding, you're fine. But the proof of pudding, or the proof of the pudding is in the mouth. We want to see if we have right understanding. Today, right today. Okay, I'd like you to take a deep, slow breath. You are going to, you have right understanding if you've been observing very clearly. All the four noble truths are there. Let us start.
People say, oh, this Buddha's teaching is very difficult. I can't practice. I can't meditate. Uh, I, I've never read about Buddhism. It's very hard. And uh, Actually, everything is in a breath there. Even one single breath. Okay, when you, you breathe, there's that anxiety and tension. Did you feel it? Some excitement sometime. And you breathe. Uh, there's that tension that says, you should let it go. Or you know you should take another one. Or you should breathe out. <laughs> What's that? Discomfort. Is that not a little bit of discomfort? Suffering? That's the first noble truth. Desire to breathe. We need to survive to get oxygen. I mean, we cannot say, and stay for hours like that. <laughs> there's such a desire there to survive. It's inbuilt. That's the second noble truth. That's the Buddha's teaching. Don't ignore it. Then when you let go the breath, how do you feel? Some peace, eh? isn't it? Some freedom. Eh? You feel happy. Ah, Take another one. Let go. How do you feel after that? There's that happiness giving you a sample of what it's like to be really free when you go and continue to practice until you attain Final liberation, inner freedom. That's the freedom. At that moment, you feel even that small, small micro happiness. You feel it. In fact, if you are stressed out, eh, I give you this uh, uh, this exercise. It's called M and M. You know this sweet this sweet's called M and M. Meditation a minute. That's a Buddhist M and M. So after one hour, and you're stressed out of work and all this, it's going to have a total change in your life. So you put in those M and M, <laughs> eight hours, so you have eight minutes of meditation, you're going to see a huge difference in your life. Now, we have seen the, not the full third noble truth, but at least a test. <laughs> you know, if you want to test all the water, I mean, all the, uh, all the oceans and find out what oceans are in Africa and uh, in Asia and all that, you don't go everywhere. You just get to the Pacific Ocean and test the drop there, and you find out it's salty. So even <laughs> the Buddha's teaching, it has a test of liberation. So even that moment when you feel happiness, when you've been breathing, and let go, oh, that's this. Then you know the second noble... The third noble truth, happiness, exists. So you have right understanding there and then, practically, not through li listening to this boring Dhamma talk. <laughs> Practice. The proof of the pudding is in the mouth, isn't it? <laughs> now we've got to the fourth noble truth. We talked about mi right mindfulness, right thought. Do, do, they put these things in the books, but in their near body, actually, there. That's what even the Buddha said that I declare that all the four noble truths are in this fathom long body. That a fathom long body is an average size of a human being. <laughs> so the four noble truths, the understanding, the right thought, are there. It's up to you to figure them out and through a right understanding. Okay, let us go through with these uh, few minutes we have. Let us find out, uh, find out uh, the... the, the the fourth noble truth. Okay, when you breathe in, what do you do? You, the breathe changing, uh, it changes. It doesn't stay the same, eh? isn't it? Then the sensation, the warmth, they keep on changing. That's right understanding of impermanence. If there's anything to show that ch things do change, it's the breath. That's why we tell you, focus on your breath all the time. And you complain, oh, I can't focus on my breath. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very hard. <laughs> I'll stop coming on POC. I can't meditate. Are you sure? The breath is there revealing all the truth to you. You are ignoring it. Today you have to fully understand what's going on. Okay, that's the, first, uh, the, 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 the right understanding there. Right there in front of you. Then... Right thought, the function of right thought is to, um, uh, to focus on the mind, to, 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 uh, to put uh, the, the attention on the mind. 
you attend to the mind because uh, you, you don't have greed and you don't have hatred and all that. So it's very clear once you attend to the breath, you're not figuring out, oh, what ice cream I'm going to eat and all that. Because we tell you, okay, please be present. <laughs> so you cannot actually think at the same time observing the breath and then thinking about lunch. Of course, it will come differently uh, sometime, but not at the same time. It's one after the other. So you have right thought there. Then we, uh, we have right understanding, right thought. What about right speech? We're off the hook. We're uh, maintaining normal silence. So you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> so you're doing right speech. <laughs> then uh, right action. Okay, not abstaining from killing. We are not killing anything apart from our anger. Actually, the Buddha told us that the only thing we should kill is our anger, aversion. That's the only exception. Okay, we are trying to practice loving kindness. That's how we kill our anger. So other, other than that, we are observing all the five precepts. We are good. We are in good shape. <laughs> right action. <laughs> it's already there in you. And then what else? Uh, right livelihood. Wow, what's the best livelihood than being self-employed on a cushion? <laughs> you are employed here for five days. You have right livelihood. <laughs> Everybody is happy. You are happy, others are happy. That's the Buddha said that you live your life to make yourself happy and others happy. You're on a cushion. That's right, right livelihood there. Uh, right mindfulness. Okay, what's mindfulness? Is to be aware of what's going on. Is to remember, actually. Mindfulness itself means to remember. So we tell you, remember to be mindful of your breath. We again and again, that's what we sing, meditation teachers. Please be mindful. And then you become mindful of the breath. So that's also done. In that moment, one breath, not two. <laughs> In one breath. Then right concentration. Oh, we skipped the right energy. Friends, whenever you focus your mind, whenever you turn your attention to, the, to the anything, even the breath, right effort is there, right energy is there. Concentration is to focus. It's basically to focus all the mental states on what you're doing. So all the Noble Eightfold Path is there in you. You like it or not, but it's there. So all what you have to do is to tune in frequency, and you are on right understanding. Friends, I've covered, I think, a lot of ground. <laughs> and I hope that you have right understanding because it's actually the way, it opens up the way to all other teachings. Right, uh, right thought, right speech. If you don't have right under, understanding, you might as well forget it. Because you're going the wrong way. Imagine you park your car, then snow comes, and then you say, I'm not going to remove snow. I'm going to go in my car. It's a brand new car. I'm going to drive all the way to Auckland. Are you going to get that car out of the parking lot? I mean, the, all the windows are all, you don't have any view. It, please tell me. <laughs> I mean, you're good drivers. Why don't you go? <laughs> The car can start, but there is no view. Eh? But if you have a view, it's very, you can drive wherever you want. If you want to even go to Uganda, because you have a view. There's nothing that's going to be difficult in your practice if we have the right kind of view and understanding. That's why I dwelled on this. I kind of indulged myself, actually. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Don't you see that? Time is even past. <laughs> All right, so let me uh, kind of recap uh, what we have seen. Uh, we have seen uh, the first noble truth, suffering, second noble truth, the cause, the third, which is the uh, cessation of suffering, and the fourth, the path that leads to the cessation of suffering. Remember this. When we develop, this is very, very important, when we develop the noble eightfold path, we come to understand the truth of suffering. When we understand the truth of suffering, we abandon naturally the cause of suffering. When we abandon the cause of suffering, we, we attain what? What do you do when you abandon the cause of suffering? You attain inner freedom, happiness, emancipation, liberation, Call it whatever you want. Thank you very much. I wish you success in your practice. You know that it's under your lap.
Liberation is under your nose. Do like this. <laughs> That's where it is. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, let us sit for a moment or two. Let it go like excitement. Shoot deep. Take a few deep breaths. Release it. This is the Noble Eightfold Path that we, the Buddha expounded and explained that leads to suffering, I mean leads to the end of suffering, happiness, freedom, and final Nibbana or final emancipation, Say the Buddha. So may you practice until you attain inner freedom. You start with the right understanding, you end up with right understanding. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.